we don't have the luxury of not being excellent. Are you going to make mistakes as a business? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you should be striving towards excellence. Don't strive towards mediocrity and then say, but, you know, but give me money because I'm black, but I'm mediocre. Hell no. You got to be excellent. I need you to do your best to be as close to excellent as possible. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mind Rehab Podcast. I'm your host, Jameen Willis. The Mind Rehab Podcast is all about the process of taking negative, self-defeating thoughts, actions, and emotions and replacing them with thoughts, actions, and emotions that are positive and true. I know what you're thinking. Where y'all been at? We took some time to regroup uh, with everything that's been going on with COVID-19. Um, and here recently now protests uh, with the death of uh, George Floyd. And uh, we just took a time to stop and uh, revamp and to focus on what we really want to put forward. What do people really need and what do people really want to hear? So today's episode is called, What Can We Do? Um, so uh, to just bring everybody up to speed, um, today we're going to talk about what can we do? You know, right now we are uh, just coming out of uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus and uh, things are opening back up here uh, where we live in Las Vegas. Uh, casinos are starting to open back up. And as soon as we get ready to open back up, um, we had the death of George Floyd, uh, who died at the hands of a uh, police officer. Um, and so uh, we have protests going on now. And so I wanted to focus today on what can we do. And so I brought on a special guest for today, a good brother, good friend of mine, Alan Woods. Um, I wanted to uh, bring him on the podcast to get his point of view um, as an entrepreneur, uh, as a community leader, and just a fellow black man. Uh, so thanks for coming on the podcast today. Uh, Alan, how you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm, uh, I'm alive, man. I can't. I can't even complain because it could be much worse. So uh, I'm here, uh, which means that I still got um, another day, another opportunity to do my part in changing the world. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not doing great, um, but I'm I'm here, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel the same way, man. And so for uh, the people who don't know who Alan Woods is, I would introduce him, but I'm going to allow him to reintroduce himself, as Jay-Z said. Um, Alan is a good friend of mine. Of course, I know who he is. Uh, I've actually been uh, a part of a lot of things that he has going on. Uh, so we know each other, work with each other uh, on a professional level and also a personal level. But for those who don't know who you are, uh, just introduce yourself and, uh, you know, let people know a little bit more about you and things that you do uh, in the community, things that you do with entrepreneurship and uh, let the good people know who you are. All right. Yeah. Um, my name is Alan Woods. I'm just a kid from Naptown. Uh, born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana, and currently living in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I am a 
lifetime Midwesterner, and um, I am a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm an entrepreneur, social activist, um, and I actually have a nonprofit that I co-founded, and I'm the executive director as well. Um, that nonprofit is called Mortar, M-O-R-T-A-R, and what we do is we actually teach entrepreneurship in Black communities. Um, the majority of our participants are Black. The majority of our participants are women. Um, so we are 100% um, supporting Black women in their endeavors to become entrepreneurs. Um, but ultimately, our goal is to, we wanted to create a business that would help people who have systemic obstacles or challenges in their journey or have a background in poverty or whatever the case is, we wanted to make sure that we were creating something that would help them to be able to start their own businesses or to um, take their business to the next level. So we get a lot of people who have either a great idea for a business or they've already started in some capacity and they're ready to kind of legitimize their business or take it to the next level, um, get to the point where they're paying taxes and able to you know, get contracts and, and things on a larger scale. Um, so they come to us for a 15 week accelerator program that kind of takes them through that process. We walk them through that. We wrote our own culturally competent curriculum a couple of years ago and it's enabled us to be able to not only operate in Cincinnati, but we've actually expanded to uh, Milwaukee, to Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we recently signed on in Akron, Ohio. Shout out to LeBron. Um, anybody who know LeBron, tell him to holler at me. Um, and then we'll be um, going to Indianapolis in 2021. So that's that's new. Okay. Uh, we just signed that contract. Yeah, I man, I'm going back to the crib. Congrats, <laughs> I'm congrats. Back, but, I mean, you're going back. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, we're going, we going back home. So I get to um, go to the same neighborhoods that I used to walk through. I get to go to the neighborhood where at 18, I was robbed at gunpoint with way too much money in my pocket because it was my <laughs> first day moving into my apartment and I was go on my way to get a money order, man. So I, I'm ready to take it back to the block. And, uh, you know, it's, it's gonna be interesting to be back. But, uh, you know, I got love for my city. And I got love for the people in that city. And we're just really trying to do whatever we can to empower people who look like us, people who think like us, people who are uh, ready to um, start the, the economic revolution. Um, and so that's what I do every day, man. So uh, I am excited to wake up every day. Um, I'm also a, an artist. So I used to, used to do spoken word, don't really do it anymore, but I'm still a writer. You know, um, I actually just wrote a piece today um, that is called I'm Not Okay and I Don't Know What to Say. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's just a lot happening. I'm also a photographer. Um, so this piece that I wrote actually includes some of my photography as well. Um, I started taking pictures when I was 12. I met Gordon Parks as a kid and it changed my life, you know. Um, and a lot of the things that um, have inspired my journey, you know, come from him. Um, a lot of the things that, you know, he did and said and uh, uh, did with his camera inspire me. There's actually a quote that I put in the piece that I wrote today. And he said that I saw the camera could be a weapon against poverty. 
against racism, against all, all sorts of social wrongs, I knew at that point I had to have a camera. Um, and mm. so in, in thinking of that, you know, I use my camera as my weapon against uh, a lot of those other things. You know, uh, he has another quote where he was actually talking to Stokely Carmichael from um, the Black Panthers. And he was like, you know, on your lap, you got a nine millimeter. In my lap, I got a 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. And both of our weapons, you know, can change the, the, the environment that we live in. And so yeah. uh, I, I, I carry both. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm trying to do twice the work. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. And that's, that's why, um, you know, I wanted to bring you on a podcast because as we're talking about what we can do, you know, you had something that inspired you, whether it was a camera or Gordon Parks and, you know, myself, I grew up and I saw my uncle, I saw a, a black man be a, a realtor, own a business, and that inspired me. So as Gordon Parks inspired you mm -hmm. uh, to get into photography, my uncle inspired me to get into real estate. And so um, you're doing something with uh, something that you're interested in, something that you're talented in, and uh, that's why I wanted to, you know, talk about what can we actually do. Um, yeah. I just want to salute you, man. I appreciate everything that you're doing for the community, um, everything that you had, uh, that you've done with Mortar. Uh, of course, I had the opportunity to serve as a facilitator for mm -hmm. um, a few years uh, in Cincinnati um, before we relocated to Las Vegas. Um, and I'm working on, man doing my part and what can I do here in Las Vegas and, and the uh, city of Henderson where we live at. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, I just salute everything that you're doing. Uh, of course, you know, we salute you, uh, support everything that's going on. And uh, yeah, man, that's what it's all about. Um, so today I wanted to talk about what can we do? You know, it's easy to shake our head. It's easy yeah. to uh, be angry and, uh, Man, to be honest with you, like this whole week, man, I've been kind of feeling like almost like depressed because it's like I felt like I was kind of living in denial a little bit because it was like very rarely in my life have I encountered uh, discrimination or hate or something like that directly at me. Yeah. But it's the systematic racism that I've been uh, affected by my whole career and it's stuff that you don't think about because it's not in your face. So just like George Floyd, when that police officer was, was on his neck, I felt like I've been, have been choked in business with being an entrepreneur, whether it was opportunities, uh, that I didn't get or, uh, losing business, losing clients because of my race or losing clients because of the color of my skin. And uh, I look at it as twofold. Part of it is the systematic racism, but the other part of it is, man, we just got to have more unity. We got to support each other a lot more. And uh, I can't forget the video I saw it on, but it's just like a lot of times we don't have a, a finance problem. We have a support problem. So I give you an example. If, if 10 people came to me in the month of June and bought a house for me, I could take a third of, of the money that I got from those sales and bought a rental property. 
So I could take that, that, that money, didn't need to get a loan, didn't need to go to a bank, didn't need to ask for a grant. I can use that money from support from the community and buy a rental property. So as I bought a rental property, I can employ contractors, minority contractors. I can put somebody who goes from uh, government housing or Section 8 housing into a home. Um, I can hire a landscaper to cut grass. And then that person that moves in there, they can go spend their money at a hardware store. And so the cycle can go on. But mm -hmm. so a lot of times we look at it as the need, we can't do this because we can't get a loan or we can't get finance. And sometimes that's true. But a lot of times if we support each other, we don't need the need to get all that finance and it's not there or it's extremely uh, lowered or lessened. Um, just by supporting each other. Um, but man, this week, I just been like, I had to stop and think like, why do I feel so bad? Because this is not new. You know, this is just, I don't know if people have been locked in the house or been shut up by COVID-19, <clears throat> but you know, from Cincinnati to all over, like this is something that I just looked at and said, yeah, here, here's, an, here's another instance. Here's another situation. Here's another person. But this time, I really felt it, man. Like I felt it, like I've almost never felt it before. And a lot of times I feel like as men, we have to be strong or you can't let it get to you too much because if you get angry, you will go out and do something stupid right. or something that's, you know, that'll get, that will harm you or harm your family or harm the cause um, of unity and supporting each other and things like that. And so, man, I just took time to focus on like, man, what can, what can I do as an individual, what can we do with my family, with me and my wife, and what can we do as as black men, and what can we do as a community? So, um, I had a couple questions that I just, you know, kind of wanted to, you know, ask you um, from your point of view. Uh, from before, uh, before you go to that, I, I just want to respond to what you said. I think that, like, I'm I'm 100% same felt the same way, and I think that the difference this time, we've seen people get beat on camera you know what i mean i was telling somebody the other day you know like i was in high school when you know during the la riots you know so telling my age now you know like you know so we saw it we've seen people get shot on camera you know we've seen you know 15 people you know get on top of eric garner you know we've seen tamir rice you know, get rolled up on and shot within like two seconds. We've seen a lot of people get shot. But the difference with this one, I think, was watching somebody position themselves, one person, position themselves on top of somebody in a way that they knew was going to drain the life out of this person. Um, and, and they took the time. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it wasn't something that happened real quick. Because, like, with Eric, it happened kind of quick. Mm -hmm. You know, we talking about, like, nine minutes. Like, nine minutes. At one of the protests I went to the other day, they had us kneel. And they were like, you know, we're going to have everybody kneel for nine minutes. And this 43-year-old knees, man, I couldn't kneel for nine minutes. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking, nine minutes is a really long time. Oh, yeah. A that really minutes is a long time, time to be bit into a fight. Right, right. <laughs> that fight right. was over in three, four minutes. Nine minutes. Nine minutes. That's three rounds. Right. Nine minutes. 
Yeah. Nine minutes. So I'm like, so I think that that's part of why this one felt so heavy for so many people. And it, it's like, dude had to be some type of like psychopath, sociopath, something like you've done this before to animals, to people, to something like you just, this is just not normal behavior. Right. Like in the hood, you could get in a fight, but you said you get in a fight. Nobody's kneeling on your neck for nine minutes, man. Like that's, that's just like some cold, like, that's next level stuff, man. We ain't never seen nothing like that, you know, just watching it. Like, yeah. they wouldn't put something like that in a movie because it would be unrealistic. Yeah. They'd be like, no, nobody would do that for nine minutes. You know what I mean? So I think that seeing it and understanding that, no, this is something real was the thing. I think that that was the thing that really ignited everything. And because this has been building up, man, you know, it's it's just like, it's a lot and you just don't know how to process all of it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just the devaluing of black lives and black bodies and black men and black women and black children. And it's just like, it's crazy that we were brought to this country to be sold because at least then they saw some value. You know what I mean? Right. And then to get to the point where you talking about this dude may or may not have passed a fake 20. So his body's not even worth $20, mm-hmm. let alone a fake $20 bill. You know what I mean? So what's, what's the value of a fake $20 bill? It's just the paper that it's on, which is mm-hmm. less than, I mean, you talking about like 50 cents? So his life wasn't even worth 50 cents. It's crazy, man. It's crazy, man. Like, so I think that <clears throat> was ultimately what what ignited everybody and you know we've been sitting back and watching and talking and typing and doing all this other stuff and it was just like yo it, it was time for time for some other stuff so yeah that's how that's that's my my take on it yeah it's crazy man i was watching a video and it was a, a mma fighter he was saying, like, man, that's one of the worst things that you can do is kneel and put all your weight on somebody's neck. Yeah. And MMA fighters, I don't even really rock with MMA all like that because it's just, like, brutal. It's just, like, shack out, shack out, shack You know what I mean? I like sport whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like somebody, somebody who's in the sport that has the least compassion. Yeah. Like, nah, like, nah that's, that's the worst thing you could do, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, that's just crazy, man. And, and the difference is, okay, if somebody breaks the law, let the penalties of that law that they broke match up with it. You know what I'm saying? I look at the, I forget his name right now. I really don't care what his name is, but the guy who shot the, went into the church and shot the people up in the church. Man, they put him into the police car so gingerly and nicely. Mm -hmm. And and, 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 you know. They took the Burger King, right? Took him to Burger King. That's crazy. He he had it his way and then went on to, went on to jail. (laughs) And then like, it's just, and that's the thing, you know, that's the thing for me is that the way that the law is set up is designed to give several different people an opportunity to be a part of the process. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you got a judge, you got the prosecution, you got the defense, you got the jury. If you, if you have a jury, you have, uh, multiple people who are a part of the process but then in this instance and in cases like this 
the police are making decisions that they are all of those people wrapped in one and even more than that that they're god man like they they i'm just out here i'm gonna take your life because i don't think that you know you should have did whatever you did i don't care if the man gave a counterfeit 20 or not i don't, I don't care what he did like take him to jail let him have his due process mm-hmm. there's yeah. nothing that can excuse that you know what yeah. i mean yeah and it's just, that's that's not the oath that police officers take man and it's just like it's just some other thing where they become this gang that is terrorizing the citizens and and in some cities disarming the citizens and then terrorizing them i mean yeah. so if you look at like new york for example man that's that's a whole different breed of police okay. and then you you can't have handguns either so it's like so i'm gonna disarm you <laughs> right. then, I'm gonna I'm gonna do I'm gonna manipulate you. I'm gonna do everything I can to you. I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna frisk you. I'm gonna you know beat you up in the street. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna get off every time. And man, it's just become this huge game that a lot of people are really fearful of because you just don't know if you're gonna make it home, man. And ultimately, when you become somebody who has to take care of more than just yourself, you know, when you leave the house, that's the concern you know, is, yeah. am I going to make it back? Is this the last time I'm going to see my wife? Is this the last time I'm going to see my kid? Are all those projects that are sitting on my desk going to never get completed? All the dreams that I had never going to come to fruition? All the film I got in my camera never going to get developed? Like, all of that stuff, man. Every time you walk out the house, you just went to the store to grab bread. And yeah. you might lose your life. And yeah. I come back with no bread. It's just like, it's just crazy, man. And it's like, it almost makes you want to just sit in the house. Mm-hmm. That, that is not the life that God has intended for us to be fearful and, you know, become hermits because this is the only way that we can stay alive is if they don't know that we exist. If we hide out, like we Anne Frank up in somebody's attic, we, we hide because these people can just come kill us at any time. That's what it feels like. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's one of the things that I want to talk about, man, and talk about, like, what if, you know, what if, like, Martin Luther King didn't get assassinated? What if Malcolm X didn't get assassinated? Would the world be a different place? Like, what would it actually be like? What would it actually look like if, uh, you know, those those guys didn't get assassinated? But the thing is, like, talking about equality and, like, a little later on when I talk about feeling inferior, um you know a lot of times it's like we have the right to live a good quality of life and it's like what things do we need to put in place to live a good quality of life and i mean that's really what i'm about man it's like man if i only got like 24 hours if i only got 48 more hours it's like now i feel this sense of urgency like man i have to make sure that i'm checking this off that i'm fulfilling this purpose that i'm leaving this behind because like now it's like super duper like in your face like man you really don't know like you don't have time to lollygag you don't have time to procrastinate because it's like now like our lives I feel like more of a sense of like my life I got to do something that's bigger than me you know what I mean and uh it's more than leaving a, a legacy of uh inheritance like we really have a responsibility to make the world better than it was when you know, before, man. So, 
Um, so I got a couple questions, man. So from an entrepreneurial and business point of view, it's just a general statement, man. What can we do? You know, me and my wife, we sat down and we're actually going to go through today is actually write a list of things that we uh, are passionate about, that we have the power, the ability, the control to do uh, right now, because it's like, man, we can't just shake our heads and say another one or wait for the next injustice mm -hmm. or deal with it. Like, I mean, we tired, man. That's the thing. It's like so tired man it's just like exhausting um so it's like from an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial point of view with you being involved in nonprofits and helping entrepreneurs what can we do about the state of you know uh our society right now the black experience right now man there's 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 so many things uh, i think to start it's to not give up you know, that's the first thing is to understand that there is something, there's mm -hmm. some action, as long as you're here, there's some action that you can do that can benefit the movement, that can benefit the black economy. Um, so the first thing is for um, what black businesses can do better is to um, step the game up, you know, understand mm -hmm. that because you're a black business is a, it is not enough reason for me to give you my money. Mm -hmm. Do I want to support black businesses? Absolutely. Am I going to take money off of my girl's plates to give you money because you're black? No. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're providing quality service in a timely manner, that is a service that I need then yeah, I will give you my money first. I'm gonna reach out, I'm looking right now. I need to get um, some, need to get, we get, need to get our roof replaced. Well, not replaced, but we got a little roof. And so I'm like, all right, gotta start with the black owned, you know, roofing company. Mm -hmm. That's the first look, you know? So I think that that's, that's one of the things we can do is we can look there first. So once we figure out what our, our problem is or our need is, look for that person first. Um, but you gotta vet them. You know, like, like you would anybody, like anybody who's coming to my home, this is my home. Right. I made an investment in this place. This is where I want to be. And anybody who comes into my home, I have to do some vetting and make sure that you're the right person. And then I'll give you my money. Uh, I might even pay you a little bit more if it's black owned because I do want to support a black owned business. But I've been places where people have asked, I was in the mall one day and this guy you know, I had, you know, I'm, I'm in the shoes. So this guy saw my shoes and he was like, you know, selling this product. He's like, oh, I got these, these, this brush and this foam and this whatever that you could use to clean your shoes. I was like, I'm good. You know, I, I already got something that, you know, I use for my shoes or whatever. And he was like, well, you know, can you support just cause you know, I'm black. And I was like, no, because I don't need your product. You know, like mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying, but I don't need that right now. And the thing is as a black man, who makes decisions with his money every day. Like if I give you money for a product that I don't need, that's money that I didn't invest in the stock market. That's money that I didn't invest in whatever tool I need to get my yard looking like I need it to look so I can increase the value of my property. Mm -hmm. That's money that I didn't use for whatever the thing is that I actually really want or the thing that my wife actually really wants or the meal that she actually really needs. You know, like, so I make decisions with my dollars every day. 
So mm-hmm. that's that's the other thing we can do is when we're making decisions, make decisions with your dollar. <clears throat> uh, make sure that your business, if you're running a business, make sure you're running a great business. We don't have the luxury of not being excellent. Are you going to make mistakes as a business? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you should be striving towards excellence. Don't strive towards mediocrity and then say, but you know, but give me money because I'm black, but I'm mediocre. Hell no, you gotta be excellent. I need you to do your best to be as close to excellent as possible. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with every other place that we operate in society. We gotta do twice as much to get half as far, but I'm gonna do what I can to give you the money that you are asking for. That's the other thing, pay the price. I've asked the people for discounts. Mm-hmm. Now, what about what about this? What about this? Yeah. As entrepreneurs, yeah. If we support each other more, let's say if I got my stuff together, I see somebody that's quality, just doing stuff yeah. right. If we support each other more, do you feel like that can combat the working twice as hard to get you know half as much? Like I don't feel like we should have to. That shouldn't be a reality of the the black. So here's the thing. Or the minority. Here's the thing. I hope I'm not jumping too far ahead in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we could talk all day, you know, but this is what you have to understand about segregation and integration. When we were segregated, we would go somewhere and we would have delicious coffee. And it was amazing. And we sat with people who looked like us and we had great conversations and we drank our coffee and then we went on about our day. But then in 1941, I believe it was, 40, we went to, in Greensboro, February 1st, we went to stage the first sit-in at Woolworths. We wanted the right to be able to go and drink the white man's coffee, which is fine. But what we did wrong is when we were given the ability to drink somebody else's coffee, we completely turned our backs on the coffee that we've been drinking for our whole lives. Yeah. So what that did to the black economy was now that coffee shop had all of its customers. Let's say it had 50 customers a day. Mm-hmm. If all 50 of your customers are now racing out to buy white coffee, who's drinking black coffee? Because the white community is not racing into your neighborhood to drink your coffee. Facts. So now you have an unequal, an unbalanced economy because now you're like, well, I'm going to drink your coffee even if you don't want me to drink your coffee. And I'm going to give you my money. You're going to take my money. Mm-hmm. And then where does that leave the black businesses who are standing there who've been supporting you the whole time? Right. They sit there like, but, but you ain't going to drink my coffee. I can't get your money. I've been working hard to get your money. And now I can't get your money anymore. And so I think maybe that's where the notion of, is, well, shoot, now my coffee got to be twice as much. Like mm-hmm. my coffee got to be, I got to give you a cup that's twice as big because maybe that'll make you stay and make you give your money to me. So maybe that's where the notion came from. Do I agree that it should be that way? No, but I think in an integrated society, that has been what it's become. We can't compete with the Amazon. When you think of all the people who go and buy stuff on Amazon that they could have tried really, really hard to find a black business that provided that same exact product, but it probably is gonna cost more. They're probably not gonna get it as fast and we want anything right now that is one of the things that has hurt our community and hurt our business. Mm. So let, let's get to that question, man. That's one of the yeah. things that I've been talking to. I've been talking to my, some of my family members. I've been talking to my wife. Some people say it may be better or, uh, or uh, 
and better to be or to go back to segregation because if you're segregated, see the difference was like I had a conversation with my grandmother. My grandmother is 85 years old, mm-hmm. walked three miles to go to school, uh, raggedy uh, desk, books, cardboard, look like cardboard instead of hardback. Um, the difference is back in the days, like if you take a segregated school, the black black schools had the books with uh, graffiti in them, gum in them, outdated books. Mm-hmm. But if we were segregated, it's like we have the same level of education, the same books, the same finances, but you don't have to deal with the racism. Some people say it's better to go back to segregation because you don't have to deal with the racism and like uh, I give an example like here in Las Vegas I went to go visit a Floyd Mayweather's gym they wouldn't let me in but that's not the point that's not the point you know not <laughs> mad about it but where Floyd Mayweather's gym is they call it uh, Chinatown so it's mm-hmm. like a probably like a three mile stretch to where it's nothing but uh, Chinese businesses and they have just about every business you can think of insurance mm-hmm. company Chinese food, club, hookah, real estate places, just about every business, and they they support each other, and it's to a certain extent, it's kind of like segregated. They support each other. So do you feel like, I mean, who knows if it it, it could actually happen, but what what are your views on, on segregation? Do you feel like we would be better off, or it would always be some type of, uh, inequality or is the world too uh integrated like you know with interracial inter uh racial marriages and things like that um you know what do you, what do you what how do you feel about that so economically i think that we need to support black businesses i think that you know i love living in a community with black people um my community has become more and more integrated slash gentrified since I've been here for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that um, I love is that there are a lot of black businesses over here. There's a lot of black uh, like restaurants. And my, my business actually is in the same neighborhood. I'm in Walnut Hills in Cincinnati. Um, and I've done a lot of research on what Walnut Hills used to be and what it has become. And, what it has the potential to be. And so, you know, for me, I would love to see more black businesses come to this area. And I would love to, you know, continue to support those black businesses. Now, if there was a thing, I mean, like, there's no safety in segregation, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, this is a country that the last, you know, it sends a lot of warnings, you know? When you think of Tulsa, Oklahoma, I mean, we're talking about <laughs> an entire neighborhood, Greenwood, destroyed. Mm-hmm. And it was like, they were thriving. People didn't want to come back and see you thriving. You know, people, people. it was it was a lot of people who wasn't winning like they were in, in, in Black Wall Street. And they came back and I was like, what y'all, y'all got the nerve to be over here looking good and feeling good and doing well? Mm-hmm. Oh, nah, we ain't living for that. Burn all that down. Shoot everybody. You know, so it's like, there's no, there's no safety in segregation. But had that been an integrated city, you think they would have went in there and did the same thing? 
because they've been looking out for their people. So it's kind of like, oh, 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 you, you know, same thing happened in Philadelphia. You got you got the government bombing a neighborhood in Philadelphia. Would they have bombed that neighborhood if it had been integrated? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So some of the safety comes in their self-preservation, you know, and some of that safety comes in that integration and knowing that, you know, there are people around you who are allies. I don't think that, you know, completely separating ourselves from other people gives you a an appropriate worldview either. I mean, like you go to Canada, they figured it out. You know what I mean? Like there's there's a lot of there's a good mix of people in Canada, even in New York. I mean, like people have figured out a way to live harmoniously in a lot of places, mm-hmm. even throughout the United States. So it's like it, it's not about us fleeing from other people to create our own thing. It's about the people who have these, uh, you know, vintage ideas of what America should look like. Mm-hmm. They need to go somewhere. So maybe, maybe the answer is segregation, but maybe it's them. They need to go off to Wisconsin or go, you know, go somewhere. You know, go to Oregon. You can have all of Oregon. You know what I mean? All of Nebraska. How about we just move out of those places? You have the whole state. Y'all can start your own little, you know, part of the United States. We we ain't got to come bother you. Just let all of them go together and, you know, live their life how they want to live it. I'm good with that. But I'm not going, you know, run and hide and, you know, do all this other stuff to, to make other people comfortable. Mm-hmm. Because there are people who are allies who support, you know, and who care about Black lives and who care about Black businesses and support them. So I think that there's a balance between the two. Mm. but you can segregate your dollars you can definitely do that that's an easy thing to do instead of buying gucci how about you go buy pierre moss black man who who is out here doing like amazing work why don't you go support virgil so buy some off-white instead of buying louis vuitton you can segregate your dollars to make a difference you know even though virgil is actually the creative director at louis vuitton Think about what happens if you get if you pay for the off-white instead of the Louis Vuitton. You're paying directly to a black-owned business. Yeah, and, and we have to do our knowledge too. Like I looked up uh, Rihanna's uh, website yesterday, mm-hmm. and man, I was so proud. Man, I went on the uh, Savage Fenty website. Yeah, she had it totally blacked out, and she was like, "Nah, we're not doing no business today. We're supporting the uh, Black Lives Matter and the protest." Um, and I was looking to see, like, man, is she, like, I was, like, looking at it, like, man, is she really the CEO? Does she, what percentage of ownership does she have? And uh, she's, like, the CEO, and she has, like, basically 15%, but you got to have distribution, you got to have manufacturers, yeah. and that makes sense. It's just like uh, like Kanye West, he gets 15% royalties, and he owns 100% of Yeezy, but you got Adidas and you have the distribution and things like that. And I started looking like that because when I buy stuff, I try to do nice things, you know, for my wife. I go to Victoria's Secret and I said, man, let me look up uh, Savage uh, Fenty. Let me do that. We support that. And uh, I was looking online um, to like to see to make sure. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that I'm doing. Um, so speak of like, that's something that I'm doing on an individual level. So, you know, from as a black man, a black man, like what's our responsibility, if we have any responsibility, uh, 
what's our responsibility in response to what's going on right now and what can we do, um, if anything, to be a part of the change that needs to take place. Like, you know, that's something that I thought of yesterday. And like I said, I'm literally making a uh, list of things that I can do as an individual and we can do as a couple to be part of the change. But do you feel like, uh, you know, one of the reasons why, like, I relocated was, man, I don't want to feel like I got to be the poster child for entrepreneurship or I don't feel like I should have to be Martin Luther King. I I, I feel like I need to be Jermaine Willis, you know what I mean? And uh, it, you, can, you can move from blatant racism, but you can't move from systematic racism. Mm -hmm. um, and we still have, I believe to a certain extent, we just have our part to play. So what do you think is like our responsibility or somebody that we should like, we should just look and say, man, this is our part that we have to do or our responsibility, or do you feel like, man, it's not my job to uh, change the world, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that it's, it's our job to be informed and to inform, you know, that's, that's first and foremost. I think we should do a better job of understanding black women that, you know, if there's, if there's anything that you can do that, that ultimately helps the future, of our people is to, to have a better understanding of black women, you know, so have real conversations with black women. Um, listen to black women. Um, there's a book called Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. Um, the majority of my staff, so we are uh, at Mortar 3, we got three co-founders, all of us are black men. Um, and we hired one black man other than us, the rest of the staff is all women, all black women, you know? So I'm talking about 75% of our staff, black women. And I was like, all right. So my wife is a black woman. My, my daughters who are 13 and 15 now will be black women. I was like, you know, obviously my mom is a black woman. Grandmother's a black woman. I need to better understand black women because black women are going to be in my life. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So I, I went and got that book. Um, I got it on Audible, actually, um, so that I can be, you know, doing my work and listening. And it is an amazing book about Black feminism. Uh, and Now, I, what's I, that book again? So we make sure we got it. Yeah, it's called Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's like her memoir of Black feminism. And that thing is amazing. So I, that would be the first thing I would suggest. It's for black men to, to pick up books that are not written by people who are also black men. We need to pick up more books that are written by black women so that we can have a better understanding of, you know, uh, what they're thinking, how they're viewing the world, because when we better understand that, we'll be able to change. Uh, Francesca, uh, I don't remember her last name, has a book called That es Escalated Quickly. That's on my list of, of books to read, so I haven't read that one yet, but that's on my list of ones that I'm gonna look into next. Uh, there's a book called White Fragility, that's also on my list. Um, but I think that part of it is just taking the time to educate ourselves. You know, we take the time to do everything else that um, enhances or you know makes our lives better in other ways, but we gotta find the things that are ultimately going to benefit us, that are gonna connect us to you know black women in our lives, um, and then we just need to be go back to being protectors. Mm -hmm. um, 
So protectors of our family, protectors of our women, um, protectors of our community. Um, you know, so when we see things that are not happening like they should be, you know, we, we got to have that voice. You know, we got to be able to pull, pull the young guys to the side and be like, hey, man, come on. Like, you know, I mean, hollering at the girls as they walk down the street. Yeah, I get it. She's she's nice. But mm-hmm. I'm harassing women, man. You know, like, and, and like, when we were coming up, like, <clears throat> like, OGs who would pull us to the side, you know? And I feel like we're not... We're not really doing that, you know, for these this younger generation. Um, yeah, they, they're <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and if you're wilding, you know, you gotta you gotta be like, look, come on, man, you got you gotta throw your trash on the ground out here, man. This is our neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know. If you don't care about your neighborhood, who gonna care? Yeah. So, so I think that's the other thing is that we gotta be more vocal and protective. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. You know, one of the things that I one of the major changes that I'm going to make is um, as I look to support other uh, black owned businesses and entrepreneurs, man, I tell you a quick story, man. I uh, was rushing to uh, get some gas one time and I was running late to pick my son up from school and I was at the gas station over on, uh, well, man, it's a totally different city, but you know, Galbraith, <laughs> over Cincinnati on Galbraith and Winton. I was at a meet gas station. And I was rushing, man. I didn't want to be late and uh, to pick him up or whatever. And so I was getting gas real quick. And as I was leaving, I like scraped my car up against the, the telephone pole because like, when the gap was just like a telephone pole, like real close, like a dumb setup or whatever. So I scraped my car, messed, knocked my uh, my mirror off, scraped my door on my car on the driver's side. So I said, man, I'm support a uh, Black-owned business, a uh, Black-owned body shop. I asked a couple people uh, for referrals, and I found a body shop that was close to my house. Go to the body shop, and I had uh, an insurance claim with State Farm. So uh, State Farm had given me the – I went to get uh, my car checked out. They took pictures, did a little report. And I was like, look, I want to get my um, car repaired. It's close to my house, Black-owned place. It's like, cool, I got you, no problem. So what I did was State Farm gave me a rental car to, uh, you know, while my car was in the shop. So what I did was I took the money that I got from State Farm and I added to it because I was getting ready to go out of town. So I'm like, cool, this would be perfect. While I'm out of town, car be getting fixed, but I paid additional money because I was going out of town and I wanted an SUV. So they only paid for like a standard car or whatever right. to my car. So I paid for SUV because I was going out of town. I'm like, come back, car be fixed. Cool. So they only gave you a certain amount of money. So I come back from out of town to uh, get my car, two different color. It wasn't even the same color. So like my car was like silver. The paint that they repaired, it was like gray. And I could see like the, yeah, or whatever the stuff that they use to smooth it over and I'm like man this is clearly like it's two different this is like dull gray and my car is like shiny silver like right, you, right. you don't see that so I'm like man this is this not right so I ended up having to pay additional money for a rental car and I had paid more because it was an SUV so I'm like he was like oh okay man I, I don't know what happened or whatever but we're gonna get it together so they had my car for like two more days right go to pick my car up and it's still not right. And so I go to pick it up and I'm like, okay, 
I'm in real estate. You're an auto body person. Like, it, like this is what you do every day. Like, there's a body shop, you know, nice part of town and stuff. And I'm like, you can't see that this deal is not right. And he was like, okay, all right, we'll get it together. It's like, what's the problem where you expected me to say it's okay and save right. on labor? Or are you, is this the quality of your work? What is going on? Mm -hmm. So at this point, it's costing me more money. And I was trying to support a, uh, a Black-owned body shop. So he had it three times. So after three times, it still wasn't right. It was better than the first time, but it still wasn't right. And I just looked at my car and I said, you know what? This is the best that it's going to get. And so that I had that experience. And so instead of me pulling the guy to the side and having a conversation with him like look here's what's wrong here's what i didn't like about this experience so that you can continue to get support from black people and clients mm -hmm. in general at that point i didn't do that and i was like see this is why i can't support you know black people sometimes because the stuff don't be right so i'm looking at myself like man am i calling people back it's my customer service on point as yeah. an entrepreneur looking at myself but one thing that i'm going to do is i'm not going to publicly bash nobody no business i'm not going to hop online and say oh they did a terrible job or right, right. Like, oh don't go to them again but for me i was like man see i'm just going to go somewhere where i know it's right and if it's you know if it's white owned or whatever but it's like um i don't want to pay more inconvenience myself to support somebody that's black but what i'm going to do is and that same thing happened to me um, i don't know why auto stuff happens but i went to get my truck i bought it because you be rushing you be running late <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 be car stuff man so i had bought my truck and the owner who uh when i bought my truck you could tell they were a pet owner so it was like pet hair like deep down in the season, it smelled like pet, but I got a good deal on the truck though, you know? <laughs> so, but I wanted to get my truck detailed. Same thing, man. I pull up to get my truck detailed. Nobody greeted me. Like I had to walk deep back into the, <laughs> where they do the work on the, on the cars and stuff to find somebody. Guy said, you have my truck ready. I had to call him, text him to get my truck. And it was just like, I could have pulled up to Mike's car wash and did what he did. But I didn't mm -hmm. pull him aside and be like, man, and this is somebody that I went Google, he graduated from the same high school as I did. Right. I didn't pull him to the side and was like, man, this is the issues that I have so that he yeah. know. But I don't know if it's because I'm just tired or I just lazy, or you'd be thinking like, somebody, sometimes a black man will feel like you son in him if you pulling to the side and be like, look, here's what you did wrong. It wasn't that. It's like, I want to continue to, now yeah. I'm like, I want to continue to support you, but also I want to show you like, here's the things that you need to tighten up. We need to tighten up as entrepreneurs. So now I'm going to take that time to, if I see something wrong with the experience or the customer service or the product, I'm going to actually let them know in a discreet way, whether it's filling out a, a survey or yeah. them to decide if I have the opportunity to whereas before it was like I'm not going to in inconvenience myself I'm just going to go to where I know it's right yeah. if it's white whatever but I'm not going to you know do that but that's really important yeah. to, to, to ask before you give them information <laughs> to like let them know your intentions mm -hmm. you know I'll be like look hey I'm a black business owner too 
do you mind if I share what my experience has been with you with mm -hmm. the hopes that it'll help you grow so that you can make more money? Like, I think sometimes if you position it that way, it's like, yo, I don't want you to have bad experiences with your customers because some of your customers won't care and they will get on the internet and talk trash about you, even if you did a terrible job, you know, and you might deserve that. But, you know, just be like, look, I want you to thrive. I want you to win. And for you to win, I need to point out some of the things that I think could have been better about this experience <clears throat> so that we can all win. Uh, and I think sometimes, like I said, it goes back to that's that protection piece. So it's like, I want to protect your business. I want to protect my investment, but I also want to protect your business. So I'm going to pull you to the side, but, but I will have to let you know my intentions ahead of time and say, yo, I want to share something with you. Are you okay with me sharing, you know, how I felt about this experience with the hopes that it helps you grow your business? And that's then if they, if they don't want that, it is what it is. Like, if they say no, like, okay, I, I just, hey, I had some things I want you to, you don't want them, it's fine. We'll keep it moving and I'll keep it moving as well. Um, but I think that's an important part. And so I'm glad you mentioned that too, because there, there can be that tendency for people to feel like you're trying to call them out. But ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're trying to help them protect their business. And I think, you know, letting them know that from the gate, you know, that, that could be one way to do that. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Oasis Medical Massage. Oasis Medical Massage with licensed therapist Brigitte Pat provides knowledgeable, specialized care for optimal and specific results. They offer initial sessions, continued care sessions, full body soft tissue massage, as well as pregnancy massages. Brigitte is a skilled massage therapist that uses a wide range of massage techniques tailored to your specific needs. Book your initial session with Oasis Medical Massage at 702-501-3700 or online at oasismedicalmassage.net. Make sure that you mention Mind Rehab when you book to receive $25 off services. Again, that's 702-501-3700 or oasismedicalmassage.net to book your massage today. Oasis Medical Massage, your oasis from pain. So women have uh, Harrison lines, they have group chats, they are more touch with their emotions, they have more dialogue in their conversations. A lot of times I feel like us as black men, we don't have an outlet or enough outlets that we can talk about, you know, how we feel or uh, uh, something like this, a podcast or a blog or something like that that discusses our everyday issues, things that we go through and things that we actually feel and is relative. A lot of stuff that I see online, whether it's a podcast or something like that, it's not sometimes it's not relative to the black man. So like, do you have any ideas on from a safety standpoint of like how to make this world a better place for the black man? Um, I think as you mentioned, like the communication piece is one thing. So being able to vent, being able to share, um, being able to tap into other emotions other than, uh, sadness and anger like i think those are those are two uh emotions that we allow a lot in our community um so i think speaking against 
people who would try to suppress people who want to share emotions, stop calling people soft, um, stop making people feel a way if, if they, you know, if they feel a way, you know, like don't, don't make people feel ashamed of having a full spectrum of emotions, you know, like when we have our children and, you know, we look at them and they make us smile. Like we can't, you can't just be me mugging your kid. Like, you know, like you're not allowed to be happy, but then, you know, sometimes we get out in the street and it's like, if you look like you're too happy, you know, it could be a problem. And, and that's, that's a, a bigger issue is like, you know, a smile is an exhibition of weakness in a lot of our communities, you know, like you look too happy. People feel like you soft or they feel like, you know, you an easy target. And it's like, man, we got we got to get over that, especially, you know, once you get back in the house, you know, like it's hard. The world is cold enough. But, you know, I need to be able to go home and have conversations with, you know, my 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 guys or my wife or whoever and not feel like I have to hide from my actual feelings, you know. And so even as, you know, our spouses, like they need to make sure that they're creating an environment for us to share where we don't feel like we always got to be, you know, mad tough, you know, like when, when do I get to express to you that you said something to me last night and that, that hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? Like if you say that to your wife and <laughs> she laugh at you, you know, it's kind of like, dang, like, never again. So like, you know, it's like you, you're allowed to express anger. But like, when can I just be like, yo, that hurt my feelings when you said whatever you said, you know, mm-hmm. like, don't, don't say that. That, that, that hurt my feelings, you know, and, and having the ability to have feelings, you know, and, uh, I think some of that starts at home, you know, it starts when we're kids, when you, you're a young man, uh, not even when you're a young man, when you're a little boy, first off, allowing our kids to be little boys, mm-hmm. you know, um, stop forcing them into being young men before they've actually experienced being a boy. It's fine to be a boy mm-hmm. um, until it's time for you to not be a boy no more, you know? Um, then when you're a young man, you know, you have already experienced what it's like to go through that range of emotions. So, you know, and then as a man, you should have that healthy spectrum of emotions where you're not just angry and just sad, um, but you are, you know, you can be thrilled and happy and, you know, all of the things, you know, like, I think letting people express those emotions without uh, feeling like there's some penalty for it is a starting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good, man. Just to to have an environment to where you feel safe enough to even, like, express yeah. your emotions yeah. and your feelings. And that's one of the things that... um that I'm just now learning to do. And like, that's why I need to, I feel that sense of urgency to finish my book, man, because it's like, you know, one of the things that I'm being transparent about with my rehab is mental health, man. Um, You know, for me, I went through a a period of depression to where um, I had personal things going on with my relationship with my son, uh, Mm -hmm. took huge losses, with my business and, you know, uh, I got to the point where I legit was like depressed, man. And, uh, I think that we need to be more 
transparent about things that we actually go through mm-hmm. um, and how we feel because a lot of times, sometimes we feel like we're the only person going through something or uh, it is a sign of weakness. And I think mm-hmm. that's like what bothered me so much is I felt like I always had to be strong. Like I had to mm-hmm. still be on my grind, be on my hustle, still be an entrepreneur. Like I see these injustices happening but my family still need to eat and I couldn't let it get to me to the point to where it, I felt, I want to say distraction, but distraction is not the right word. It's like, if I focus on it too much, I'm going to either get angry or I'm going to get distracted. It's going to take me mm-hmm. away from my responsibilities. Like to even have, you know, take time out to say, man, this is crazy about what's going on. Stop mm-hmm. for a second and say, okay, what, what can we do or what's my responsibility? But um, hey, I want I want to I want to put a highlighter on something you just said. Mm-hmm. You said that you felt like you had to be strong, and that you couldn't show the emotions, or you know, kind of delve into the other things. And I think that that's part of the challenge is changing how we define strength, mm-hmm. because we typically when we say, "Man, I got to be strong." It's like, it's as if they live on two different worlds. Like strength is here and your emotions are here, but I gotta be strong so I can't have these. And the thing is, you can can live in both. You can be strong and be sad. You can be depressed and still be strong. Um, With black men having like some of the highest rates, like it's the newest group that has like higher rates of like suicide and depression, yeah. like they are not mutually exclusive. It's not, I had to be strong or I was sad. No, I'm, I'm sad as hell, but I'm being strong at the same time by pushing through this or I don't feel like pushing through this no more, but my strength is the fact that I'm gonna still be here tomorrow yeah. to try it again, you know? So I think that we also have to be really aware of like language and and how we have been programmed to believe that strength is one thing and everything else is weakness because that's that's part of the challenge too is like reframing strength yeah yeah man one of my favorite things that i say now man is everybody is doing the best they can depending on where they're at in their life. So you may look at somebody and be like, man, why are they reacting that way? Or shake your head or some some action, but you never know what that person is going through, what they're dealing with. And uh, I'm being more more mindful of it. Even with my relationship with my own father, like, mm-hmm. you know, like I have, you know, as I get older, I just entered into the 4040 club myself. Yeah. Um, you know, my father, me and him have a decent relationship now, uh, but I didn't always have the best relationship with my father. Um, but I understand a little bit more because now I'm kind of like in that position to where I face some of the things that he faced and dealt with some of the things that he dealt with. And it's like everybody's doing the best they can depending on, uh, you know, where they're at in, your, in their lives, man. But when you're dealing with depression sometimes, when you're dealing with uh, guilt, when you feel like you're sometimes less than, man, you never know, you know, it has an effect on how you react and how you act and how you talk and confidence and everything, man. And so 
that's one of the things that I'm, uh, my part is being just transparent on things that I've been through, things that I'm going through, uh, being open with it. So if I can encourage or inspire somebody else from taking time out to take care of yourself, to go get a massage or go with your wife to get a pedicure, put some money. Or go by yourself to get a pedicure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Oh, no, I yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, go by yourself, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, a lot of times I feel like, man, we don't take care of ourselves. We don't take time out to uh, to take care of ourselves. A lot of times, like women do, and, you know, I mean, sometimes it's like from a financial standpoint, but some of it is just, um, it's okay. You know, a lot of times it's okay to stop and take care of yourself. It's like a lot of times I'm the last person I think about it's like, Okay, kids mm -hmm. need some school clothes. They need some shoes. And they need this and that. And you like the last person you look around, your shoes busted. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, clothes messed up. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you know, it's cool to be. You know, you got to be responsible and things like that, man. But uh, yeah, that's what I'm all about, man. Is just being transparent and providing a uh, place where you can be an inspiration, but also. Uh, I think that that's going to, you know, spark change too, because um, it's just being the example, man. You can't be a leader until you're an individual first. Yeah. And uh, now more and more, I'm realizing that I have to be more of a uh, individual and uh, to to do my part, you know, whatever that may yeah. be. I think it, it you know, to, to kind of close that out, I think it, it reminds me, it's been a long time since I've been on a flight, but you know, like when they go through the safety check and they like, you know, like if, if, if blue cabin pressure and oxygen mask drop down, they like, you know, put your mask on before helping others, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that ultimately, you know, if we close out with like, what your last question was like, what do you do as a black man to, you know, help other people or to help your community or your family? And, and what we got to do is we got to put our mask on first. You know what I mean? Yeah. We got to make sure that we're in a good place because if we're not in a good place, we, we can wreak a lot of havoc. We can wreak, we can bring a lot of destruction. Uh, we can mess up a lot of other people in our lives and uh, and mess up for ourselves, you know, if we're not in a good place. So I, I would say that for me, that's, that's the key right there um, is to take care of yourself first and make sure that you're good before you start putting everybody else's mask on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So my last question is, um, do you think that because black people have gone through so much, we feel inferior to white people and other races and that attributes to like the bad things that happen to us? Um, like like uh, our confidence, uh, negative energy and things like that. Do you feel like because we've gone through so much, we feel inferior or that we feel like even even hopeless and like that that mental uh that mindset that we have attributes to actually things that happen to us or it's just no it's just racism like you feel like because of the stuff that we went through it's like you know it's kind of like the dog that's been kicked too much or something like that do you feel like that contributes to the things that happen to us the injustices that happen to us or I think, it, I think it contributes to the 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 disparities in health, if nothing else. I don't think that it 
makes the majority of the people that I know anyway would not say that they feel inferior. The majority of my the people that I would have a conversation with feel like they are overcomers and that they are pushing through a lot of stuff that other people haven't had to push through, that they are resilient and strong and compassionate and beautiful and uh, intelligent and, and, you know, ready to, to take on the world. Um, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, you know, there's been some level of programming, you know, like if you see uh, an image of a young black man holding an AR-13, there may be one thought that goes through your head, like, why you got that? You know, but then you see the, you know, white kid with the same gun, you might not think anything about it because they've shown, you know, they've programmed us to believe that that's okay, even though they, you know, this person is probably more likely to shoot up a school than the other person. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how have we been sent messages that make us believe certain things? I think that a lot of the, the media um, that I ingest is very positive towards, you know, have a very positive perspective of Black people. Um, the Instagram accounts that I follow, you know, Facebook, like I don't see a lot of stuff people, other people be saying. I just don't, because I curate everything around me. Mm. Like I curate my friendships. I curate my partnerships, my relationships, my Instagram feed, my Facebook followers, everything. Everything around me, I curate. You can't make me watch something on Netflix just because it's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I watch what I want to watch and what's going to be beneficial to me. I need, I need things that are going to nourish me, not things that are going to depress me or tear me down or make me feel like I'm less than. So I think that I'm on a, a healthy diet of things that show black people in positive lights that are doing amazing things. And so that's what I see. I see a lot of that. And I think that people who sit around and watch a lot of other stuff, see a lot of other stuff. And, you know, that starts to kind of infiltrate your, your mind because those are the things that you're seeing are the things that people are showing. Um, but the fact is, is just because people put shit on your plate don't mean you got to eat it. So yeah, that's true. Ultimately, you can't make me feel inferior. Mm -hmm. Nobody can do that. So, you know, it might be there. There may be a conversation and, you know, a white supremacy conversation. You feel <clears> like I'm inferior, but I don't have to agree at all. Just because you say it, that don't mean nothing, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, I don't feel that at all. I'm, I'm, I am I'm wake up every day thankful for another opportunity to do this thing. Um, thankful to be a black man in America. Every day that I make it back to my house and alive and well and healthy uh, and my family's doing well, you know, it's, it's like I didn't want some bonus points, you know, so I'm going to keep doing it until I can't do it. And, you know, it would be a perfect scenario to not leave the house and have to wonder if I'm leaving or if I'm coming back, you know, but uh, I, I don't feel inferior in any capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like, um, oh, no, man, when I leave out the house, I say, when, when I pray before I go anywhere, I say, I enter this day thankful, grateful, and in eager expectation of the great things that are in store for me today. So when I don't, when I leave the house, I don't think like, oh, man, I hope I don't get pulled over today. 
Um, mm -hmm. That doesn't enter my mind. I think that has an uh, impact on actually what goes on throughout the day. Mm -hmm. um, I am more uh, aware of the systematic racism that I face because it's like mm -hmm. I'm more impacted by the racism that I don't see that uh, yeah. I'm pulled over by the police. And if I do, yeah, if I get pulled over by the police, I'm like, oh, crap. But I don't yeah, think I start beating you like, ah, just, <laughs> what's up, <Yeah>. sir? <laughs> you doing? <Right. laughs> yeah, and so that's one of the things that I'm doing, man, is where I live at. I'm going to go introduce myself to the chief of police. And uh, me and my wife, we put together a Facebook group, and we are actually expanding it. It's called Black Henderson, because where we live at, I see a bunch of, a good amount of Black people. It's like a suburb outside of Las Vegas but there's a lack of a sense of community in Henderson. Mm -hmm. So you see black people, but everybody kind of like keeps to themselves. It's not a sense of unity. It's not an awareness of where all the black owned restaurants are, where the black owned businesses are. And so we started just with just a Facebook group called Black Henderson and uh, we're encouraging people to join. And I thought about like right now, we just started and we got about maybe 40 people strong on the Facebook group. But if 40 people showed up to a black owned restaurant, think of the impact that that would have on their day. And restaurants, their profit margin is really small. So if 40 people pulled up and said, Black Henderson, we're going to go to, you know, it's a restaurant here in Las Vegas, Simply Pure. And, and if they had 40 customers at one time that was there, and even if you wasn't hungry, you just got something to drink or you got a coffee, and, and we went live and say, hey, we're at Simply Pure, check it out, it's professional, yeah. it's clean, you know, that would have a huge impact, and that's something that we're going to do is we're going to continue to grow that group, we're going to continue to spread awareness on uh black owned companies that we've already been to, like shout out to uh, Simply Pure. Uh, me and my wife had opportunity to meet the owner. She owns a, a vegan uh, restaurant down in Container Park um, in downtown Las Vegas. And she has vegan uh, restaurant, it's professional. The food is good, uh, the customer service is good. And, you know, we went to a, a networking event and actually met the owner and uh, she was real cool, but, um, somebody that you already know pull up there and support them and then yep. like and then it's like yes we want to support you but we're looking to see to make sure that the quality is there you professional yep. you know and, and we're looking at our yelp all of that yeah yeah making sure that we have our stuff together and um and that's another thing too like i know you you look at it and you're aware of it but a lot of times we don't do uh, reviews a lot of time because a lot of times online is a place for people to complain if nothing was wrong we don't leave a review or we don't yeah, fill out the survey or stuff like that and that's another thing that we can do is start leaving good reviews to where you you combating or matching up the negative reviews online and things like that from Yelp and and other things yeah absolutely yeah, man. So I want to be mindful of your time, man. And so a lot of the things that you talk about is part of the mind rehab process is replacing the negative with the positive. So from a positive mindset and also like what you said, like from Netflix and things like that, like what goes in must come out. You know, so if you watching negative stuff, it's just gonna have an impact on on your life. It's gonna have an impact on the way that you that you think and uh 
man, shout out to all the people, uh, like, uh, man, I'm kind of late. I just now start watching The Shy. Man, I love that show, man. Just yeah, man, the, great. the writing and the point of view and the experience is, like, authentic to what life, I mean, I'm not from Chicago, but I'm from the Midwest, but life is like yeah. in Chicago, what life is like in the Midwest, and it gives those point of view that's really, like, you know, relative, man. She she killing it with a lot of the uh, shows and stuff that she has um, going on. And we need more of that. We need support. So, like, if you can wait for Atlanta to come back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. went through and watched watched both seasons again on uh, Hulu. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, yeah. And I'm watching. She's got to have it again. Both seasons of that. I didn't uh, check that out yet. I'm gonna watch that. Yeah, and, you gotta uh, check. You gotta check out. She's got to have it. And it's got two seasons. So yeah, check them out. Yeah, I just finished the the shy, and uh, of course I watched Insecure. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta rotate my uh, subscriptions. You know, they got HBO, Showtime, <laughs> Hulu. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna uh, jump back on HBO once uh, the Insecure season is over. You know, and just get everything at once. Just hit them in that, that seven day trial, and then get up out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, man. Again, man, I wanted to thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for all answering all the questions. Thank you for your contributions, man. And uh, so this has been another episode of my rehab with our special guest, Alan Woods. Uh, I invite everybody, man, subscribe to the podcast. You can check it out on YouTube. You can check it out on everywhere podcasts are podcasted. That's my favorite thing. And let's support each other, man. Uh, Also... Alan and his wife, uh, Kyla, have a podcast also um, it's called uh, Permanent Plus One. Uh, check that out. And uh, thanks for being uh, on the um, episode today, Alan. And uh, we will talk to everybody next week. Holla. Thank you.